0: Welcome back everyone, Brian Tuck here, your host, for another episode of Creative Confidential. This is going to be a very different kind of episode because normally we are very optimistic, we're very forward-looking, we are very go-get-em, very go get them, very stay on the offensive and attack, attack, attack in that mode to... Um, Achieve your goals, right? Build a plan, execute the plan, Uh, make a list, do the action items. And it's become apparent to me the more people I speak with, the more creatives that I work with at my law practice or other musicians that I collaborate with or am friends with, It has become apparent to me that there is an overwhelming sense of fear and fear, uncertainty, depression, and a lot of bad psychological energy that is going to stand in the way of what you are aiming to do, whatever your, you know, whatever your project is. So I thought it would be. Beneficial today to speak to a professional. And my guest, I'm very excited about is a therapist in town here with me in beautiful Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, uh, named Winden Rowe. Now, Winden is a professional therapist. She's also a terrific writer, um, you know, mostly non nonfiction, um, but we'll we'll dive into that in a little bit. So There are a lot of lessons to be pulled out of this. There are lessons about validation. There are lessons about recognizing what's going on, being a little bit more introspective, if you will. And I don't wanna delay this any more than I already have. Um, A quick reminder, go to the newsletter. I think you're really going to enjoy it. The newsletter comes out every Thursday or Friday. It's a companion to this podcast. So there's content that's in the newsletter that's not on the on the show here. Go to briantuck.substack.com. There's a link to it in the show notes here. It's $5 a month. Uh, super easy. And um, if you sign up, you're going to get content every week that's going to help you. I assure you there is value in the newsletter. It will help pick you up from whatever's going on that week, and it will help point you in the right direction. So check that out on Substack. I'm really, uh, really proud of that aspect of the show. I've been working that really hard, um, and it's 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 really a good thing. Trust me. Just go there, sign up. You'll be glad you did. You can cancel whenever. You're not locked in uh, for any period of time, but again, it helps to support the show. That's Important, so I can create more episodes and deliver more information to you that'll be helpful in your professional journey. Okay, now, without any further delay, here we go. Wind in row. You're listening to Creator Confidential with attorney, author, and musician, Brian Tuck. Brian's legal practice is focused on arts and entertainment law, startups, nonprofits, and faith-based organizations. To learn more, visit tucklaw.com on the web. Creator Confidential starts now. I'm joined today by Wyndon Rowe, who's the director of the Center for Change in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, where she works in trauma counseling and mediation. Ms. Rose has been a guest on a variety of media broadcasts, including Morning Edition, Radio Times, and lectures at Thomas Jefferson University in the Community and Trauma Counseling Graduate Program. Wyndon, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it equally.
0: So we have had, we're not, you know, everybody knows the the COVID, everybody knows the shutdown. We're not going to rehash um, all, all of that. The, the people that, um, that I'm in contact with that listen to the podcast or, or follow the newsletter tend to be people that work in the creative disciplines, whether they're filmmakers, writers, novelists, actors, musicians, and they're people that work largely in isolation to begin with. They don't have a huge support you know, network around them. Um, What I've noticed is the shutdown has, has this group of people in particular really have suffered and I am not a clinical, I am not a clinical expert at all. I'm just some guy. But I mean, it seems to me there's been huge upticks in depression. And just overall, general feelings of despair and i you know and i will say myself included it's it's been you know when you see an entire year of creative work evaporate uh because of something we can't see or you know that really doesn't seem tangible um it's it's tough and i really wanted to get your perspective today on what those forces are so we can maybe understand them a little bit better and then what do we do to help get through this god-awful you know period that we're in
1: mm-hmm. yeah this has definitely been a really interesting time to do the work that i do and in terms of like a psychological like a perspective um you know the word that comes to mind is fascinating but fascinating doesn't mean that it's comfortable I think it's been really uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, and I think that has a lot of different layers to it. Uh, I think that starts at sort of like the micro and, and extends out into the macro. So there are, like you just shared, those of us who individually speaking are struggling with a lot of the changes that this has, um, affected. So our social interaction or lack thereof, or things that really suck, like, can we hug our parents and feel safe and okay about that? And that awkward thing of like, well, now we're bumping elbows, but we're not hugging each other. Like there's a lack of physical touch. There's a lack of physical proximity. And so I think what's also lost with that is the word intimacy. And I don't mean that in, in the way that we think about it physically, but I mean, in that ability for us to really connect in all of those verbal and nonverbal ways um, that we so, so easily do on a subconscious level. And I think this has put such a a, a divide in that. And then extending that out into the macro, it's like, Oh my gosh, talk about like my friend says, what a time to be alive. It's just almost exhausting trying to process it all, all of the time.
0: So I think, yeah, I think there's, that's another aspect of this is, you know, Fatigue. I think for lack of a better word, it's, it, I think part of it that we're in and we don't want to go into this topic, but you know, the election cycle, um, that we are in has some baggage to it. The news cycle has some baggage to it that in normal times would be annoying You know, right, because you see every commercial break, you see three ads for, you know, go to vote or this candidate or that candidate. But when you lay it on top of this fundamental shift in how everybody interacts and um, like you said, you know, I don't think I've, I have, I don't think I've shake, I don't think I shook another person's hand since January, like the last in-person kind of formal meeting I had for my uh, for the law practice, I think was January of this year.
1: Mm, and yeah. since
0: then, you've been kind of just waving at people, or you know, giving them a peace sign, or, or you know, whatever. But um, mm-hmm. can you? I fatigue is a word that people throw around a lot. And how would you, uh, you know, from a clinical perspective, how would you define? fatigue versus just the average person on the street saying that they're fatigued what's what are the, what are the signs?
1: Mm, well I could go really into the rabbit hole on this so take <laughs> the top so <clears throat> you know we have these body systems in place for a reason and the design of the body is magical and it's so intuitive and it's so smart. And for whatever reason, we as an American culture design most of our systems to completely ignore the intuition and the wisdom of the body (laughs) and drive ourselves into a health crisis. So I've said this publicly, I've written about it, I teach this to my graduate students and I stand by it until the end of time, until there's science that, that proves otherwise, but but the real health crisis is not COVID-19. I'm not saying that COVID-19 is not a health crisis, but if you think about the tip of the iceberg and what's below it, what's really killing us is stress, right? And I think when people think about stress, they think of stress as anxiety, you know, like riding really high on adrenaline and kind of where somebody like me, where I tend to hover, I definitely run on like a high octane, Um, But fatigue is just as much of an indicator of stress as much as, you know, anxiety and just sort of like high energy is. Um, So the nervous system is like Goldilocks, right? And it's also kind of like a pendulum. In the sense that if we swing over to one side, we're going to swing back over to the other in equal measure. So I teach my graduate students what goes up must come down and what goes down must come up. And eventually what we hope to see achieved is getting back to that healthy baseline. Now, trauma, uh, stress, pandemic stress, finances, issues around race, gender equality, blah, 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 you know, the whole list are going to impact that. And... In terms of fatigue, uh, it's a symptom that we look for. It's a symptom that we look for, you know, I look for it and I monitor it in the people that I'm working with um, where there might be an identified trauma in the history or there might be something acute, meaning very recent that they're sustaining. But I think for all of us on on a global, like national global level, we are already at a deficit in terms of our population health, period. Like that, I would be surprised if there was somebody that would be able to contest that. But we have a cultural mindset where, you know, we'll say we live to work versus working to live. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you take that having already been in place and then add this layer of change and these socio-political dynamics going on. And I think everybody just at the start of the week is already exhausted by it. Um, And so what are some of the outcomes of that? So we're going to see a real shift in terms of our ability to feel safe, to connect socially, to feel effective, to experience motivation, or to even have a clue as to what to do with, with all of this quick, rapid, unanticipated transition that seems to have been ongoing since March. Um, so speaking to a question that you asked earlier on that I didn't get to really touch on, I didn't get to go to that lid, is in the creative community, I think that's going to hit triple fold. Um, I did a talk with a group of artists from Maine. I was up there, so I stay really connected to that community and was asked to do a Zoom. I think there were like 100-something people on that that are part of um, a statewide association for the arts. And, you know, what is art all about? It's all about community and bringing people together and helping us celebrate or helping us grieve or helping us have really important community dialogues through sound or through visual art or through poetry, collaboration, and... Now we have a significant, um, I don't want to say a total inability, but a major, major, major setback in in being able to do that. So what's being, you know, taken away from us right now in that arena is a place where we do a lot of subconscious healing, you know, so when I'm working with people who are struggling or trying to recover, that's something that we'll look at is, you know, what are ways that you can get into the creative centers of your brain and the creative center of your heart to really try to reconnect to the truth of your human experience. And the best place to do that is in community, right? Like isolation is very dangerous mm-hmm. for us. Um, so <clears throat> I don't want to pretend that I have answers on how I have ideas, I don't know that they're answers on how to remedy that, but I want to validate the truth of that experience for anybody that's listening today that, you know, if you're, if you're feeling like kind of down and out because you're struggling with isolation and the inability to connect in the way that you're accustomed to, that's actually intuitively wise of you to feel that, right? We're, we're tribal beings. We're born into community, we're raised in community, and we die in community. That's how we stay healthy. And this has really impacted our ability to do that on a community level. So at the very least, if I leave this call today with anything, it's wanting to really validate the way that people are feeling right now.
0: You know, it's it's interesting in terms of healing. One of the first things that struck me as a major major, major shift in how life was going to be was, you know, you heard the first, the first COVID patients that unfortunately passed away, you would read in the newspaper stories, interviews with their families, um, where they could not could not attend the funeral, there was no funeral, because at that point in time, um, I think knowledge of how contagious this really was, or is, um, obviously was not as great as it is now. We've learned, you know, maybe we're not where we need to be, but we definitely know more now in October than we did in March. But back in March and April, we didn't know a whole lot. And that was one of the things that really struck me as being incredibly sad about this whole situation was uh, people could not attend the funerals of their loved ones to even have that Experience. I, I know a funeral does not bring closure, but it is part of the right of passage. The process, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and and people very quickly pivoted to being able to run their businesses through, you know, by remote through Zoom or through Skype or or what have you. Schools have now pivoted to delivering education 100% online at the secondary and elementary levels. And, you know, my layman's take on this is, boy, it just isn't the same. And that's probably the understatement of the year. And I can't articulate, you know, all the reasons why it's not the same. Um, I just want to hope that everybody's doing the best they can under under the circumstances that uh, that they have um I, in, and i think you're exactly right you know the purpose of art is to convey emotion and being part of a community is is a huge part of that you know you can't share a concert experience or a play or um, you know, a live comedian or, or any of those performance uh, arts together now. You know, mm. there were outdoor events here and there, um, but, you know, the live concert industry is is dead and doesn't look like it's going to resume anytime soon. Um, in another way, with sports being without fans, um, that's, you know, that's another part of it, too, that you know, we're now on a very micro level, just speaking for myself for the last 17 or 18 or 20 years, Friday nights was, was high school football. And now it isn't like, you know, Friday comes and goes, the team plays, there's hardly anybody there because of the government restrictions. And it's, you know, there's definitely, um, you know, there's definitely a sadness that kind of permeates everything you know and and one of the things i'm i'm curious about is how you know are there some effective strategies that you have found work that you don't see being talked about you know what what do you what what's your you know what is your advice for a generic person like me that that can't put you know my finger on why I feel the way I do, um, but like let's say, let's say I'm less productive at work. I'm less interested in my normal activities that I would find joy in. What should I do? Like, how do I snap myself out of this if I can, or can or can I? I might not be able to. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm, I'm like jotting things down as you're talking because I'm like, all these little things are going off in my head about ideas of, of points that you're making. Um, and I would say the very first thing that comes to mind at the end of your sharing is something that is pervasively avoided in our American culture, which is it is okay to not be okay. And I think there's a healthy balance to that. So there are some of us on the planet. I'm raising my hand that when I feel not okay. I'm one of those people who like really gets in there. And you can blame that on me being a therapist or a middle child or <clears throat> a water sign. and <laughs> born under the sun of cancer. Um, you know, so who knows? Whatever you <laughs> want to attribute that to. But I get all up in my feelings to the point that it can be debilitating and there are other people on the planet um uh i love lovingly refer to them as the robots i come from a robot uh which is a very interesting relationship but who are completely avoidant of the fact that sometimes it's okay to not be okay and so it comes out on both sides um and so i think that's the first thing that we just really need to make room for right now is that it's okay if you're not sailing through pandemic life i don't know about anybody else but i I certainly did not prepare for a global pandemic to be part of my human experience. And so I think the first thing that we need to do is just kind of be a lot easier on ourselves. And, you know, I think the second thing that's coming to mind is this question that came up for me at the beginning of all of this is, what am I going home to? So if I'm going to go home and stay home, what is the condition of that environment? what's good, what's working, what's not, and how willing am I to ease up on my ego and let go of some of the things that I have potentially unhealthy attachments to and rework the dynamics of my home, you know, physically, emotionally, cognitively, so that it's an environment where I can be content and, and, and survive this in a way that doesn't feel like I'm surviving this, but like, I'm doing the best that I can with the circumstances that I'm in. Um, And so when we go home, this is something that is so uh, like root level for me as a trauma therapist, that home is where the heart is. And home is also the place where our hearts first broke for most people out there that some of our hardest lessons in life came at those early ages when we were young and we started to have those first experiences around the world isn't always safe. And sometimes that happened as a result of the people that were in our homes or as a result of leaving home, going out into the world and not being loved and cared for and having to come home with that pain. So for example, kids that were bullied, right? Or kids that well, this is probably something you see a lot of in the creative world. Kids that were just different kind of thinkers and different kind of doers Mm -hmm. and that had their interests in very different places than math and science, right? And so now you're kind of like on the fringe. So I think no matter what, and I truly believe this, that after a certain point, um, we all experience the lowercase trauma of wondering you know like if we are fundamentally okay the way that we are and where we belong in life and that happens at a subconscious level right and there's consciousness around it but you take that into adulthood in a culture where what does everybody say when you ask how they are i'm fine right when that mm-hmm. is bs answer yep. I've ever heard in my entire life yep. to that question like oh yeah okay sure right you're fine so <laughs> much so, you, know, you take that and then you fold that into what home is now and, you know, I don't know about you, but home can be really hard sometimes, right? Like, we love home and we love the people that we share it with, but it's also where we learn our hardest lessons and do some of our hardest work in relationship with others and with ourselves. Um So again, like I'm just going to repeat this word validation. I think I just want to do a lot of validation today around why some of this stuff is surfacing for people. Um, And again, I've I've quoted it a bunch in my writing, and he is someone who got me through graduate school, is a gentleman named John Cabot zinn And he's a meditation mindfulness leader in the world. And he wrote a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are. And so the premise of the book is in meditation, right? So in the act of being still and with ourselves, that's where we meet ourselves and the truth of who we are the most. And I think that this pandemic is putting us in that position, but we don't have systems and we don't have teachers and we don't have global leadership that helps normalize the difficulties that arise when we are in And so I think this is where we see this amplification of what we, in air quotes, and I say air quotes because I don't actually totally believe in it as a concept from the trauma model, is this thing called mental health, right? It's not about what is wrong with all of us. It's about what's happening to us and our, 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 our leadership and education or lack thereof around what to do when we're met with challenge, um, and I'll finish with this because I could I talk forever. <laughs> I'm very verbose, but it is that there's one thing that I've heard consistently from people more so in the last six months than before, which is I wish when I was in school, I didn't learn as much about mental math and all these weird things that they teach now, but I wish that people had taught me about what feelings are. And I wish people had taught me coping skills and I wish they had taught me communication skills and I wish that they had taught self-awareness and help seeking behaviors because that's what I need to know how to do right now. And I'm clueless.
0: Yeah. No, I I think that's that, that last point is, is right on the money Um, because it's not, you know, and it's been a hot minute since I was in, Uh, Even since I was in undergrad, it's been a while. So when I, you know, back when I was in school, this would have been the early 90s in, in, you know, college. There was no discussion of that unless you were in, you know, you were in one of the health majors or you were specifically in that major from what what I would gather. But if you're in, you know, I was in the business school and in the music school and There was none of that. There was no discussion of that topic at all. So I think systemically, there, you know, obviously needs to be a greater emphasis on, on that in the curriculum. I know we're getting pretty far afield here, but, but we're all paying for it now. Right. I mean, things we didn't get 10 years ago or 15 years ago or five years ago, if you're a recent grad, um, you are probably now you know, paying for that, not uh, lack of information that maybe would have, would have been helpful. Um, one thing just to, to pivot a minute, I, when you said you were very verbose, um, you are probably one of the best, uh, your Instagram posts are so interesting because usually people are posting a picture of their dog, you know, <laughs> or of a fishing trip or something like that. And then you go on, uh, you go on Winden's Instagram account, and you just cl- you see a, a, a paragraph, and then it says click, you know, and then you click, and then like three hundred words <laughs> or four hundred words in, in in a single post that that clearly have been very carefully crafted. Um, you know, t- let's talk about your writing a little bit, and I'm curious as to what. I think I know the answer, but, you know, to what extent that helps you as an outlet in your own life, whether it's for artistic development or just, just event or just to get something out of your, you know, out of your head. Tell, Tell us about how, you know, your writing style has evolved and, you know, what you're, what you're up to currently.
1: So I'll tell you a secret. I write those posts in the moment, and I post them. And I even sometimes post and then go back and edit before, like I am finally good with my work. But um, I write them in the morning (laughs) from my bed with like half a cup of coffee, all with my thumb, not with a keyboard. Um, and that's
0: that's a lot of work. By the way, when you guys see when you guys. Go on Wyndon's uh, Instagram. I'll, I'll drop a link to it in the show notes. Um, you'll see what I'm talking about. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, interrupt away. It's great. Um, yeah, I just, I, 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 I'm trying to think when I started. It's been a couple of years that I've been running an Instagram, and I was thinking about this the other day that I started, um probably a couple of years ago and i think i had like eight followers and i was like okay and they still have a pretty like low follower count in terms of like how you know kim, i watched david letterman interview kim kardashian last night and i was like that is an instagram account you know i'm no <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just a few hundred people but um i think it's twofold it helps me organize my thoughts around my learning of of you know how we're designed as people. Um, And then, you know, it's a healing process for me too. I mean, I've been through a lot of really like, when I think about what I've been through in 41 years, I'm like, wow, that's like not normal. Some of the stuff that's happened in my life. And I, I think part of it is like wanting to give to people some peace and serenity around, the ways that we all struggle, Um, and really, like, I just want to change population mindset. Like, I think there's this perpetuation of so much negativity when it doesn't really have to be that way. Like, we're not that complicated, but we create a world that is so complex, unnecessarily so. Um, I'm kind of circling back to who we're really talking to in this podcast today are people who are out there in the world who are are creative and who want to bring art to the world, and, 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 and I'm sad to say that over time I think we've really stolen away from the power of what art really is and what it means and what it does for us. Um, and I'm hoping that through writing, that I'm teaching a couple of different things, that I'm teaching um, validation and I'm teaching um, experience, so like how we can experience ourselves in a different way. But I also hope that what is starting to happen in my work now is that I'm extending into a bigger um, arena. I'm now working at the government level where I was asked to join a think tank, and now that has extended into co chairing a committee that's all around communication and community outreach on this hot topic of, you know, we call it trauma, but what it really is is about our health and our well being, right? And one of the things I keep reflecting back on is, you know, you touched on the election thing, the power of the vote. And whether that's at the big, big, big level or it's the lower level, like here in our community, defunding the arts, right? That we've been seeing that for years. It's been a huge community issue. And when I look at it from a data level and from a science level and a neuroscience level and a health level, that's actually dangerous to our well-being and i think that's probably why people like you're you're speaking to or, or talking about in your own experience brian have hard feelings right now because i think deep down in, inside you know that what a community of artists is doing is they're extending themselves out into the community and acting as a healing agent and that's being taken away from us
0: right um, absolutely right yeah
1: yeah, so you're going to feel badly about that. And and for anyone who's listening, like the real brief rundown on what art does for us in terms of healing is is the brain is right brain left brain, right? Everything is a hemispheric. And art happens on the right side, right? And the left brain is is, is logic. What also happens on the right side is a lot of feeling and reaction and reactivity and response. And that when we're in that fight flight we become dominant in the right side in a way that's kind of dangerous. And one of the things that we know through evidence in neuroscience and research around the arts is that bringing people back into their right brain in a creative, like it's okay to be messy. It's okay to do things that are different and not have to sort of like talk through in a logical way what's going on for you, but be able to produce, sound and visual aid around your human experience, it, it, it helps create a leveling in the nervous system that we need to achieve balance, right, and sustainability. And so, you know, I think that's a crime against humanity right now that we're creating these learning environments that are so left-brain dominant, but we've got all these right brain kids running around and we're not giving them an opportunity to... Invest their energy in learning how to speak their own language and and use their own tools for self-expression. And so, what does that do? That makes someone feel like they don't belong, and that's a dangerous thing to have in in a culture. Um, And the last thing I can say is, you know, well, I can say lots of things, but (laughs) I've been blessed to have a ton of exposure to performing arts over the years, so. Um, my boys, dad, and I collectively, I think we've seen, I don't even know how much live music and live performance, theater performances. And above all else that I've done in my life, that's where I and we have gone to sort of like shake it off, mm-hmm. regroup, fill the battery and go back out into the world. And so again, I think it's, um, it's valid for people right now to feel the deficit around that those ways that we come together as a community both as artists and the participants
0: sorry go ahead no it's it's you know i think one of the ways we can get to illustrate what one thing that you said about government support of the arts if you look at the relief packages that U.S. the u.s congress had rolled out that were advertised to us as you know, relief for small businesses, relief for Main Street America, and then you find out that the bulk of the Paycheck Protection Loans, for example, went to large companies. Mm. They didn't go to solo, you know, one and two and three person uh, enterprises. They went they went to big companies. So that means to, you know, to someone who's, who who was previously getting by as, um, you know, in one of the creative pursuits, pick one, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Um, That tells those people they're not really prioritized in the relief effort. Now, there were grant programs that sprung up around the city of Philadelphia, and other, you know, other cities had programs like that, where you know, artists and musicians and you know writers could apply for a one-time grant. It might be a thousand dollars or you know fifteen hundred or two, which which is phenomenal. That's don't get me wrong, but that's not you know when the economy is in the tank for eight months in a row, um, that's not going to help. You know, that's not going to really provide any real uh, relief. And the thing, you know, the next wave of this that really troubles me mm. is that all of these independent theaters and venues are going to be out of business. Like they're not, they are not going to come back. And and when I, when you see, so I guess one, one action item for everybody that's listening is when you see one of your, you know, if you have a favorite local theater or concert venue or something like that, That is posting, they need donations, they need some help. Pitch in, you know, even if it's 20 bucks or or 25, you know, try to maybe take some action uh, to help stop that. Because if those venues go away, we are then in another kind of artistic depression. I don't mean that. I mean that in sort of the economic sense, not the psychological sense. That will cause another long-term negative environment that's going to go forward in time another 12 or 18 months until somebody can take the, you know, like, let's say you have a theater up the street from you.
1: Right.
0: It can't make its mortgage payments. Yeah. Uh, the bank takes the building back. By the time that happens to the time a new owner can reopen that venue, you're probably looking at 12 to 18 months. Yeah. So, Let's say COVID gets cured tomorrow, but all the theaters are closed. Uh, We now have, you know, we're looking at mid 2022. By the time the artistic economy can snap back to where it was in January of 2020, so you know, something to think about. I know every, I know times are tough for everybody uh, on that front. But if you if you see a venue that needs some help, or a person that needs some help, for that matter, um, you know, try to do try to do something. I think that would be one of the le- one of the lessons of uh, of this discussion.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do little things like <clears throat> double and triple tipping when they go out for a meal or if
0: yeah,
1: like, there was a gentleman who was um yep street performer the other night playing music and I think I put a $20 bill in his tip jar and I'm in a position where you know I can do that with my you know home economy every once in a while I can't make it a habit but I, I try to when able because it's like god you know I, th- I was thinking about this the other day like how art brings us through hard times like i was thinking about hemingway and for whom the bells toll or farewell to arms or a movable feast and how he wrote in these times in life that were so catastrophic you know in terms of societal change during wartime and like all of the different musicians that put those stories to, to music. Or, um, like when I was in Southern Spain, I remember a a painter that had done a rendition of the last supper, but he had put instead of, um, Jesus and the disciples, it was all at the time who he identified as world dictators at the table instead. And just thinking about like how awesome, artwork is like we go into people's homes what do we notice what's hanging on the walls? how the home is decorated what do we love to do when we get in the car we love to listen to music when we go out where do we want to go we want to go into groups of people where there are performance artists who are bringing entertainment what are they bringing they're bringing an ability for us to connect on the community level and to also connect to emotions without having to walk into an office like mine and have an uncomfortable conversation with a counselor. Know, a... I, I get it, I'm not for everyone I'm okay with you know It's like, yeah. this is how it is So, um, you know, I hope that Like I was thinking about I got to see Bob Weir Last year at the Met in Philly
0: mm-hmm. uh, right. It's so
1: bad I'm like dying for another Bob Weir At the Met show But And, and what made that amazing Was Bob Weir But it was also My elbow buddies who are dancing and singing along to the music. And, you know, I hope very much that we're able to find ways to recreate that. So it might not be right now at, you know, the stadium level. When I was young, um, Fish was still playing at a bar in Burlington, Vermont. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if we can go back to some of those grassroots efforts to bring people together and do it in a way that's safe. But I think you're making an extraordinarily important point that, you know, we need to reprioritize our value system right now. Like I log on to the news and I see things like I try not to get on there anymore. But like we're putting a cell tower on the moon. We're spending dollars trying to figure out if there's life in the atmosphere of Venus. And I'm like, all right, we don't have universal health care and homelessness is still an issue along with the opioid epidemic and COVID-19. So why are we putting our attention to those issues? Um, So I hope that what will happen, and we'll find out a lot more as the fall unfolds, that there will be a recalibration of what our value system is. Um, And I will say this, doing counseling work, I work with all different kinds of people, right? So my training is to hold space for the whole rainbow of fruit flavor when it comes to the human experience. And there are certain things that I find to be consistent across the population, regardless of who you are, who you want to vote for, what your belief system is. And it's a few fundamental things like people just want to be loved and they want to love. They want to feel a sense of belonging. They want community, right? They want their friends and family to be safe and okay. Like those are things that are just like inarguably human regardless of these labels that we start doing. Um, And so I hope that whatever big turn of events is ahead of us, that there'll be some kind of ability for us regardless of what the talking heads are doing to come together as a community and put our differences aside and figure out how to continue to sustain and survive And to have targeted goals for how to rebuild that don't overlook the critical importance of things like art.
0: Can't say it much better than that. I don't think I really appreciate your time. I think we covered, (laughs) we, we, we probably opened the door for three or four more, more (laughs) conversations, which we should have, uh. At some point, because I hope you'll come back with us again. Um, if, if if yep. if people want to get in in touch with you, what's what's the easiest way for them?
1: Um. So uh, I have two websites. Don't go to my website because it's like talk about fake news. It's like so not updated. Um. So my website for my business is the center KS. Like of Square, the center ksq.com dot um, and then I'd say the second best place is my Instagram handle, which is my full full name. It's Winden W I N D E N, and I think once you get there, it'll probably populate. But Winden Statham S T A T H A M R O W E. So, um, so I think that's kind of like a good two part. What we're doing as uh, clinical community to offer counseling and mediation services to, um, well, actually not even, doesn't have to be local at this point. Thanks to telemed, but, um, and then in terms of writing and just reading some cool stuff and playing with some ideas, that would be my Instagram handle.
0: Well, and we'll link to both of those in wherever you're hearing this, whether it's on Spotify or wherever you're getting your podcasts, We'll link to both of those in the show notes so that uh, you can just click through and uh, and go there. So, um, Wyndon, again, uh, very, very much appreciate your time today. And uh, I hope everybody that uh, was listening at home got a lot out of this because we're, we're you know, to, uh, to quote Gordon Ramsay, we are in the shit. We really, we really are, and I don't know when we're getting out of it. So,
1: I love people named Gordon. My dad and my brother are Gordon. Those are good people named Gordon. Come up with good one-liners. There you go.
0: All right, everybody. (laughs) Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Creator Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or follow the show on SoundCloud. You can also visit us on the web, Twitter, or Facebook. Creator Confidential is a production of Force 10 Media and the Tuck Law Offices.